Show us what Columbia looks like. This is what Columbia looks like. The best place for Columbia College news. I'll give my life for this cause, and I will die for this cause. Covering the stories Chicagoans care about. They're calling for one Chicago. Shut down, they shut down. This is Chronicle Headlines. Hello, everybody, and welcome into today's show. I am your host, Blaze Mesa, back at it again for another episode of Chronicle Headlines. Today, we will be discussing a walkthrough of a haunted house, coding at Columbia, and a faculty survey. But first, President and CEO Dr. Kwong Woo Kim's contract has been extended until 2024. Kim's previous contract was set to expire in 2020. The extension was announced by the chair of the Board of Trustees, William E. Wolf, in an October 25th college-wide email. Wolf said the Board of Trustees voted unanimously to extend Kim's contract, and in the email, Wolf said the college was fortunate to have Dr. Kim as its president and CEO. Kim became president in 2013. Moving on over to our next story of the show, a Michael Guo, a 1980 film alum and Emmy-nominated American Horror Story cinematographer, was one of the filmmakers who shot American Horror Story Asylum, and he came to Columbia to speak about his experiences in the industry. And that lack of fear of failure is so important to you as you go through this business, because the people who want to, to just do what they know everybody will like are the people who are not going to ever advance beyond being journeymen, cinematographers or directors or writers or whatever it is that you're, you're into. Guo spoke at the Cinema and Television Arts Speaker Series October 22nd at Filmro Cinema at 1104 South Wabash Avenue. Guo said being on set and getting experience in a professional environment is important for students. Everything technical in the film industry, frankly, you can learn in a book. And I wrote the book, the American Cinematographer Manual. But the other half of it is learning the politics of how the industry works. And to do that, you have to associate yourself with people who are in this industry. Guo said he made over 125 films at Columbia, and throughout this process, he learned from his mistakes. And before we bring on some of the staff members to talk more about their stories, our top story this week is a compilation of the Chronicle's midterm coverage. Over the past year, the Chronicle has reported on the governor's race, the attorney general's race, and the 7th Congressional District, which is located in the South Loop. The Chronicle has compiled all of its coverage into one convenient article and even asked experts what to expect when heading to the polls. Well, what will vary is how long you might have to wait in line. And that can be, you know, you could walk, sometimes you can walk straight in, get everything done, you're out. Other times, you know, you've heard, of course, that you can go and you can find out that you have to wait for an hour or more. There are lots of people there who are actually, like, they're trying to help you. Um, I think what first-time voters or inexperienced voters are surprised is they think that the people there are trying to, like, block you from voting. And you know, 99.9% of the time, that's not true. They are actually trying to help you. That was Joyce Williams, Director of Voter Registration for the League of Women Voters in the LaGrange area. For students who are not yet registered to vote, it is not too late. Illinois allows for same-day registration so long as potential voters bring the proper identification to the polls. According to the Chicago Board of Election Commissioner's website, military IDs, state ID cards, college IDs, and driver's license are acceptable forms of IDs. The website also lists bills, transcripts, bank statements, utility bills, pay stubs, 
and any other form of mail from a government agency as acceptable forms of mail that can be used as an ID. Voters heading to the polls will vote for Illinois Governor, Attorney General, Secretary of State, Treasurer, Comptroller, and various other local candidates. For additional reporting of the candidates, visit ColumbiaChronicle.com, and to find polling places near you and coverage of local candidates, visit BallotReady.com. As much fun as talking midterm elections are, I would like to welcome in Sammy and Mike Rundle to the studio, because you guys walked through a haunted house this week, is that correct? It that is. That is correct. <laughs> okay, so you went to States, nope. Statesville? Hell's Gate. Hell's Gate. Yeah. Okay, got it. That's the haunted house in what suburb? Like Lockport, I believe. Lockport. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now that's enough background information for now. <laughs> Important question: Who was more scared? Hundred percent, Sammy. Hundred ten percent. I disagree. Wow. Yeah, I feel like Mike was more scared on the inside. I was just like showing it more. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I think I hyped it up more than for what I like. Right. I was a little anxious going in. Okay. I was a little anxious. So was, yeah. for people out there, like, why, why are they walking through a haunted house? What was the, <laughs> the purpose behind this endeavor? Um, well, we, we went and walked through just to kind of, like, review it, see how it was. We were making a multimedia piece, um, basically, of us walking through it. Um, Kevin um, was the videographer. Um, so we just wanted to, like, get our reactions and things like that. And it's kind of like what we've seen. I know that Ellen's done it a couple times. Right. Where it's people just walking through and the cameraman yeah. in front. Yeah. So, Mike, you said you had a little nerves before. Yeah. Uh, can you describe those? Like, were you trying to, like, I'm going to cancel this nerves? Or, like, oh, gosh, it's maybe a little spooky nerves. I think I think the latter is a little bit more accurate. I don't think... I don't think I was ever on the verge of canceling. I mean, Mike did text me and ask if we were for sure going, and he told me he was scared. Okay, but you also sent me a text and said you had nightmares about it for three days beforehand. (laughs) That is true. Uh, Yeah. Well, I've had traumatic haunted house experiences before, so. Well, you're going to have to explain what those were. (laughs) Well, no, just once. um, I was, like, younger. I think I was, like, 10 or 11. And you went through a haunted house. I did at... um, like Indiana Beach, so it was like a kid's one, you know, but my flip-flop fell off, and mm-hmm. I started just crying, and I just wanted my shoe back, and my dad had to, like, run me through the rest of it, and I never got my shoe back. So I think that wait, was, wait, wait, wait. yeah. So the reason it was so scary <laughs> was because your shoe fell off. Yeah, it was just a lot going on. Like, I was scared, and then my shoe fell off, you know, and then I couldn't find my shoe. Yeah. It was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> But ever since then, I've absolutely hated haunted houses. Like, I just don't love being scared. I don't know. I don't understand people that love haunted houses. See, prior to this one, I hadn't been at a haunted house since, like, so junior high, maybe. Okay. So, like, I was a while. Like, it's been yeah. a long time. So, like, I remember then I was, like, really terrified. I was, like, always talking to my friends, like, all right, y'all got to get me out of this somehow. But, like, this <laughs> time I was, like, I was having a little more fun than I expected, yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I went to, I've been to one haunted house before, and it's because I got essentially dragged along. Mm-hmm. And I learned that if you're not that scared, in comparison to the people around you so if you're more mellow than your partner the people aren't going to bother you in the haunted house Mm -hmm. and i did tell both of you to do this to one another (laughs) was to try and scare the other person so as to to take some attention off of you did either one of you do that no not knowingly but i will say that i will say that i feel like you sammy kind of like had the cut and run reaction a lot and they kind of just like Right. I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, I I scream very loud, and I like get, yeah, like I like run mm-hmm. away. And Mike is more of like, oh, okay, like you got yeah, me. And I yeah. was kind I get of very like, tense. Yeah, I get very um, like. I think the beginning was rough for both of us. I was very scared I could barely walk. Mike kind of had to, like, help me walk. Yeah. (laughs) And then once we got, like, halfway through, we were like, okay, like, we're going to be okay at least, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So walk us through what, you know, was it inside? Was it outside? Oh, it was both. What was the theme? Was it, like, a haunted house? Like, not like a a house that is haunted? Or is it, like, a prison? Mm -hmm. Or was it, like, what was the landscape here? So it was, you start out outdoors and you kind of walk through this trail in the woods a little bit and Mm -hmm. there's various little obstacles that you go through Um, but the main attraction is this what is painted to be the home of these two like demon twins essentially okay yeah and you're kind of just making your way through um the home their home and i mean there's everything from you know, like you go down a slide at one point. That was um, like a fun that home. That was crazy. Yeah, they have some really interesting. It sounds like a fun home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The slide yeah. and all. They asked me to spit into a jar. They did. Like to get my DNA, and I was like, hard pass. <laughs> <laughs> so like. This wasn't before or after. This was during. Yeah, this it, was, was during it was like part of the experience. People were like in my face with like a, what a, a test tube yeah, it was or like whatever. A test tube, yeah. yeah, and I was like, I'm good. You know. Yeah. There Did was you... one. There was one portion too, if I may, to that. There was a section in which you were supposed to find the key oh, yeah. to the house. I was not looking. And they had, <laughs> they had a bunch of boxes with just holes in. You're supposed to stick your hands in, and I was I was not about. You did a little to do bit. I, I, did, I just stood there waiting did I, for. So, what, did, did you guys find no. the key? We did not find the key. No. It was really just Mike looking he did not find it i kind of just ran around and like looked <laughs> in him a little bit but i was not about yeah. to so say how'd you get in you didn't have, you didn't they have the, key. the door yeah, yeah they were like time's they're up probably they're probably sitting there like okay thank two, god you know they're probably sitting there like you two can't find a stitch in that box and they're probably sitting there waiting for you the it whole was a little time. confusing yeah. yeah somebody's in the corner pointing yeah. we're just <laughs> like free. Yeah. we're freaking out too the much box is like glowing it's that one it is that box right yeah okay so then you went inside you went outside and then did it end inside or outside uh, the final, the final room or the final boss, if you will, was indoors. Yeah. Okay. But, how, yeah. how long did this whole experience take then? It felt like forever. It but did I feel like a long think time. it was only like what twenty five minutes. Yeah, twenty five thirty minutes, something like that. Yeah. yeah. That seems like a reasonable amount of time yeah. for a haunted house. And wasn't mm. this one of the more better rated haunted houses in the state? Yeah. It's on definitely like the top 10, I believe, the list. Yeah, so um, you didn't just pick some random haunted house and you're like, no, let's try this, I guess. Right. right. Well, a Columbia alumni actually works um, at both Hell's Gate and Statesville. So we were talking to her a little bit. And there was a lot of Columbia alumni that worked at the haunted house, whether they were like doing makeup or... Um, did you like get that. a behind the uh, behind the scenes sneak peek? We did, yeah. So that'll be one of the videos. We'll be just kind of talking to her. Did you get the peek after or before you went in the haunted house? Before. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know if you like got scared and then you went back and like this <laughs> no. guy right here. No, it actually helped seeing like all the characters like already dressed up, like just oh, talking yeah. beforehand. Oh, that's why you weren't as scared. Yeah. It's like yeah, oh, well, there's, the, there's the, cl- the creepy cr- right. clown. Yeah. Like, okay, I, I know when you're coming up. Right. Mm-hmm. You on a first name basis with any of them? Like, Steve, you better stop. <laughs> like, you're scaring me, man. <laughs> no. I, I wish. There was a point where, well, apparently for this haunted house, you can, like, pay extra for 
you give personal information about like a family member or friend and then they like taunt them about it like they like know their parents names and it's like really creepy but there was a point where i was like oh my god mike and then like the person Mm -hmm. started like being like mike mike and i was like like, oh don't worry mike i don't bite only a little i'm like oh wow sorry it was an accident i couldn't find him half the time like i'd look back and be like mike i didn't know where i was and you're like it was very hard to navigate i will say yeah it was it was hard to navigate we like didn't know which way to go several yeah. times yeah so maybe that's part of the effect though. maybe yeah just getting lost in a maze and yeah. then you can look at uh, some more reporting on that at columbiachronicle.com and jermaine nolan wrote a story physically about the alum but i'm here to make fun of you guys for being scared yeah and i'm running out of time here <laughs> i've only got a couple minutes so yeah. what was mike i'm gonna ask you this question mm-hmm. and then sammy i'm gonna ask you the same okay. question because i know if i ask each one of you it directly, you're not going to admit to it. So, Mike, what was Sammy's most embarrassing part in the haunted house? Oh, oh man, um, Sammy's most embarrassing moment. I probably just the fact that she like wouldn't move. <laughs> like she kind of just like what, like got scared and then just stood still and was like shut down and was like nope not going anywhere and we had to like yeah like, myself like, Kevin sure. and then the guy that was with us we all kind of had to like push Sammy along a little bit here like we're holding up the group so like twenty five minutes like come on Sammy like we really yeah, gotta like, get moving yeah, yeah. yeah. let's let's okay, go okay Sammy same yeah. question you. I just wanted in, defen- oh, in my okay. defense there okay. at some point I would I was either standing still or sprinting like at That's some point true, I would yeah. sprint. Anyways, um, so Mike's, Mike's most, most embarrassing. embarrassing time. Yeah, what was it? I don't know if this is necessarily embarrassing, but I think the point where he got the most scared was there was like a room with like a green neon like light, and you could only see over like it was like probably like um, up to like your like chest, and you could only see over it, so you oh, felt like you okay. were like underwater, and it was like a green laser, and then this one character came running at us like. It was so mm-hmm. scary. Was and the Mike character was, above or below the line of sight? Her head only was above. Yeah. Ooh. So it was like so scary. And like I made Mike go first, obviously, for most <laughs> of it. But I think he got very scared during that. Yeah. I mean, so did I. But I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, did. I, I will. Yeah. Okay. Well, Sammy, Mike, thank you guys for coming on. But uh, that's going to do it for us here today. Yeah. Thanks thank for you. having us. And for additional reporting on The Haunted House, you can go to ColumbiaChronicle.com under the Multimedia tab, or you can go to YouTube and search The Chronicle. Now we're going to pull a complete 360 and talk about uh, from haunted houses to coding. And coding is coming to Columbia. Kind of. And to talk about the story a little bit more, I have this, the reporter who worked on it, Olivia Deloy. And welcome into the studio, Olivia. So, Thank you. Here, <laughs> so we have Genesis Work Chicago. And they've collaborated with Columbia College Chicago online in an effort to educate local students on coding and how to do it as part of Apple's Everyone Can Code program. Mm-hmm. But the program is only open to juniors in CPS or charter schools. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay, okay. So was there a, a specific reason behind creating this program or, or what was the thought process behind it all? I think that Columbia really wanted to um, start collaborating with Genesis because of Apple's Everyone Can Code program, which is it was established to educate students on coding as like early and as easily as possible and so I think that was pretty much the reasoning behind that. Okay, but no Columbia students can be a part of this program, it's just juniors and CPS or charter schools. Right, just for this specific program. But we have coding classes here at Columbia, right, already? There's like yes. an online marketing or 
I think you talked to a professor in that class, so I'm just going to let you have the floor. We have coding classes, is that right? Yeah, we do. I actually interviewed Kaylee uh, Plotner. She's an adjunct in the communication department. She teaches web design for storytelling. So she did speak to me on the importance of coding and why she thinks it's beneficial to high school students um, to be learning this in this particular program. But so yeah, other uh, Columbia students are able to code in other classes as well, but just this program is not uh, for Columbia students specifically. So I don't know how this is going to make me feel, because I don't know how to code at all. And we're talking about the importance of coding. So without hurting my feelings and the people who can't code too much, you know, why is it important to know how to code and, and make all that, you know, websites and all that stuff? Yeah, well, actually, Kaylee had kind of explained to me that um, coding can be used in anywhere. So, like, if you're working for a doctor's office or something like that and someone needs to design their web page, it could literally just be used for that. And I have no experience with coding at all either, but I know, you know, people who are into blogging need to code and pretty much any field. So just in this digital age, it's really important. So I'm, I'm behind here, aren't I? Yes. Yeah. So I guess that, that's a little bit of the reason it came, or not came to Columbia, but that's probably why Columbia is partnering with them. Rob Green is the Vice Provost of Digital Learning. He said that Columbia wanted to make an effort to become more involved with Apple's movement, and after uh, the discussions with the company regarding Genesis, you know, the partnership was created. In a number of ways, um, you know, the, the the coding classes that we've developed are really suited to to, to serve um, the lifelong learning market. So we'll be able to take these courses and, and have them immediately impact um, their day to day. So for the Genesis Work students in particular, what it's doing is it's enabling them to have access to some of this technical curriculum that. Um, previously was unavailable to some of these students. Again, that was Rob Green, Vice Provost of Digital Learning at Columbia. So we talked about a little bit about why coding is important, but what are some of the specifics of this program? So the first one that was created by uh, Columbia College Chicago Online is an eight-week online course called App Design with Swift Programming, and that yeah, that um, has 25 like high school high school seniors to enroll in it, and then the other one there's going to be three $1,000 scholarships being offered uh, to Genesis Work students, and then they'll be able to enroll in two new courses called uh, Foundations of Swift Coding and iOS, and then Data Visualization using Excel and Tableau. I kind of know what iOS is. It's good in job. The, it's in the iPhones, I think. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it is. I don't know if it's good or bad, but I really have no idea what most of that stuff was. Maybe I should take a coding class. Yeah, I mean, I know days. iOS has something to do with software. I always get my little iOS updates that I don't end up updating because I don't have enough space. So, I mean, I keep getting messages from iCloud. This is completely off topic, but I have a minute here to, to spare. I keep getting messages from iCloud that my storage is full. Me but I never, too. I never do anything about it, and it never has a problem. Yeah. Maybe, Same for me. Maybe we should get coding classes or something and we can Yeah, maybe we should stuff. expand. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I think I may have missed it. How long does this program run for? Uh, this specific one is eight weeks. And then regarding the other two new ones, I don't know if there is an actual amount, if it's also going to be eight weeks as well. Okay, and then it's all online. And then it's through Columbia College Online. So students taking these courses at CPS schools are kind of like part-time students at Columbia. Right. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Increasing the student population. But we've talked about the partnership between Columbia and this program. Let's talk a little more about Genesis. Is mm -hmm. that right? The, the program that partnered with Apple. 
Yes, uh, it's Genesis Works Chicago. It's a company that works to, to already provide career success to high school students. And so when they found out about Apple's initiative, they decided to try and find you know something else. And then Apple told Columbia about Genesis, and that's how it all sort of came together. So he said, she said, made this yes. this nice program come together. Okay, I think you spoke to Liz Rafferty, right? And yes. she is the executive director for Genesis. And just like you said, after hearing about all these partnerships, they want to get involved. What we would hope is that um, they can take the learnings that they've started um, in in the course that we offered and, and some in Chicago Public Schools, perhaps, um, and continue to build upon that. We're very excited for them to really um, be able to use this as a way to build their career paths and really identify where they think they want to go. Again, that was Liz Rafferty. So I guess my final point here is how many people can be enrolled in this program? We may have touched on it, but so it's juniors and CPS and charter schools, but how big is the class? Um, well, so for the first eight-week online course that I had mentioned, um, they were enrolling 25 high school seniors mm -hmm. in the course, so I believe oh, that's okay. the amount, but I'm not really sure regarding the other ones. I know with the scholarships, there's going to be three scholarships involved, and so I'm not exactly sure if that's going to be the limit or... Yeah. And then it's kind, of, it's kind of like a regular college course that we still don't 100% know how if it runs fall and spring. Yeah, um, I know this one obviously is specifically running in the fall, but then regarding the scholarships, I would assume they would start in the spring, but really none of that has been clarified because it's all still in the works. Okay, so it's a new it's a new program. Mm -hmm. is it, is, so it's not a pilot program, though? Like they, no, okay. it's established. Yeah, it's not a pilot, though. Well, Livy, thank you for coming in. Are we missing anything about your story? No, I think that about oh, does it. Yeah. Well, coding is maybe kind of coming to Columbia. Livy, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. Our final story of the episode is a faculty survey. I'd like to welcome in Alexandra Yetter, the reporter who covered this story this week. But before we begin uh, talking about the results of the survey, what exactly was the faculty survey? Uh, what questions were asked and who took it? Well, the Faculty Senate Faculty Affairs Committee was behind the survey, and this is the second year that they've done a survey of full-time faculty specifically, and some of the questions they asked had a lot to do with financial opportunities at the college, including if they were happy with benefits mm -hmm. and their salary, and then there was also some more general about um, like classroom facilities and whether they thought students were ready for their next class. Okay, so uh, it's basically kind of like what day-to-day -day stuff, essentially, how they thought about policies and this and that, and the other, just gauging their, their happiness, essentially. Yeah. Okay. Then we do have some of the results from the survey. 60% of faculty members reported being dissatisfied with the administration's leadership. 47% of respondents said they were dissatisfied with their deans. There were a couple categories where a majority of people were dissatisfied, such as 51% of respondents saying they were dissatisfied with their current salary, and 76% of respondents were dissatisfied with the way the administration implemented policies. But there were some categories where a majority of the people were satisfied, such as 65% of respondents being satisfied with medical and health benefits. However, in this category, there was about a 20% decrease in, sati in satisfi satisfaction, with 88% of respondents reporting they were satisfied with medical health benefits a year ago, so it's about a 20% drop. So was this kind of... I don't want to say the norm, but you were able to look at some of the, the response and the categories. 
was a majority of a kind of a tone of unhappiness. Yeah, absolutely, especially in finances. Mm-hmm. And the trend was that a lot of the answers had gone down from the first survey last year. Yeah, Sean Andrews, an associate professor in the Humanities, History, and Social Sciences Department, said he and his colleagues did actually love working at Columbia, and especially with the, the student and teacher kind of uh, relationship that they have. But he did also say that faculty satisfaction may change depending on how the administration handles policy changes. We're entering a, a, a period where there will be tough decisions that the administration has to make, and it would be good if the faculty were involved in those decisions Uh, So that if they do impact the curriculum, the faculty will continue to feel like it is a good institution and they like being here. Again, that was Sean Andrews. But the big number I have here on the survey is that 70% of respondents said they are still satisfied with being a full-time faculty member at the college, with only 36% of respondents saying they intended to leave Columbia in the near future. So based on the survey results, some people are, you know, they're ready to leave, but A majority seem at least um, satisfied with being at Columbia. And just to reiterate one more time, this was full-time faculty members only who took the survey? Yeah. Okay, and then I know um, at least some of the headlines in the Chronicle uh, recently have been with part-time faculty strikes. They were not involved in this survey. This is full-time faculty members. But with this um, this survey being taken and the results counted, what was uh, the college's response? I know you talked to Provost Stan Weirden, is that correct? Yeah, I spoke to the provost, and his general response was that they see the survey, they see dissatisfaction, and they have plans to start looking into things, but nothing specific, really. Yeah. Provost Stan Weirden attributed the dissatisfaction to budget cuts and low enrollment, and you said he has plans, but did he um, go any further into whether there'd be immediate changes or what those plans may entail? So no immediate changes, but he did mention that the administration was looking into comparing salaries and benefits of full-time faculty at Columbia to other colleges in the Chicagoland area to see if we stack up against that so that we can keep being uh, competitive in terms of bringing in good faculty. Yeah, and that was a category where 51% of respondents were dissatisfied with their current salary. I believe that category also dropped a little bit in dissatisfaction from the year prior, or satisfaction from the year prior. But uh, there were 191 faculty members who took this survey. Were you able to get in contact with any of them? No. So I ended up um, calling at least 25 people, emailing them. A lot of them were on faculty senate. And a lot of them either didn't return my calls or said that they didn't have anything to say, which might have been because of the very low dissatisfaction. They didn't want to put their names on it. Mm But we also saw a decrease in the number of respondents actually taking the survey from last Hmm. year. I think roughly 200 took it last year and only 191 took it this year. So this is not required to take this survey. It's more of an optional thing than I'm assuming the faculty member gets it and they turn it in whenever. Yeah, just as student surveys are optional, so are the faculty ones. And do you happen to know if this was based off on, um, like, I think we get some where it's, like, very satisfied, satisfied, um, neutral, dissatisfied. Like, is it a a scale on a spectrum? Yeah, there is a scale. They did take out neutral, though, in order to get the most um, passionate responses. Mm -hmm. So trying to really make sure they got whether people were happy or unhappy with the college. And then so you contacted 25-plus faculty members. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of a time when I needed to speak with aldermen, so I had to contact every single alderman 
in the I think it was the black and Latino caucuses. I got like four responses. <laughs> so I feel your pain a little bit. But um, are we missing anything with your story? I want to make sure we have everything all wrapped up to nice and tight. So some people were satisfied in certain regards. And it seems like a majority of full time members who took the survey are at least interested in staying. It's about 70 percent. But there was some of the decrease in numbers. Was there one or two major problem areas that the, um, I know we kind of addressed pay, but was there one or two major problem areas that um, full-time faculty members all were also concerned about? The most major area that they saw dissatisfaction in was cost of living increases. Mm-hmm. Since there hasn't been a cost of living increase in 10 to 15 years at the college, um, but there has been performance-based uh, financial increases for some faculty and um, Sean Andrews said that that wasn't enough to make salary better. Okay. Well, Alexandra, I appreciate you coming on, but for additional reporting on that story, because there was certainly a lot of numbers and things that wouldn't be too fun to talk about right now, because mm-hmm. numbers don't make for good radio. You can go to ColumbiaChronicle.com for additional reporting. And before we let you go, there is a slight correction to make on Chronicle headlines. Last week, we reported the Shared Harvest Fund was a non-profit organization, which is correct, but the fund itself, the Shared Harvest Fund, is for profit. So the Chronicle is updating that and correcting it. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out all these stories and more in our print edition available on campus, on our website, ColumbiaChronicle.com, and our additional coverage on social media. We are at CC Chronicle on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and The Chronicle on Facebook and YouTube. Chronicle Headlines is made possible with the collaboration of the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground, under the leadership of the Chair of the Communication Department of Columbia College Chicago, Suzanne McBride. I've been your host, Blaze Mesa. Until next time.